0: Life Rendered, looks at virtual environments and relationships in those environments, is a person we meet virtually really like their avatar. This short looks at this and looks at relationships in a virtual space, one in particular. To make the virtual world look plausible, director Emma Nadell used motion capture, even had new tech designed for the film. This is Sci-Fi Talk the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore humanity. And we explore the virtual side of humanity with co-writer and director, Emma Nadell. How did this idea come to you?
1: So I'm actually from rural Colorado. And for the film, it's set in rural Colorado, follows a young gay man who grew up, or grows up out there. And uh, he has two lives, one life, He is a disabled cowboy father's caretaker, and in the other life, in virtual reality, he uses VR to escape and find romance. So I grew up in rural Colorado, and fun fact, we shot on my parents' cattle ranch. Um, So uh, that largely inspired the story, but, you know, like so many of us during 2020, it was a moment to kind of pause and, and and reflect when our kind of quote unquote normal lives were put on pause. And I was living in Los Angeles at the time, you know, as a film director, you tend to have to go to Los Angeles, but I was living out there during COVID. I moved back home. It, it, I've always wanted to escape rural Colorado. I, I was an outsider and an outcast there. And then when I went back home, it was really interesting to see how so much has changed and yet nothing at all. What I mean by that, you know, the houses and the barns out there, a lot of them were built in the 20th century, maybe even early 20th century, so there's a lot of kind of older cowboy history on the front range of Colorado. But then everyone has an iPhone. Everyone has satellite TV and there are, even some people have VR goggles. And so it was interesting to see how much hasn't changed from the kind of typical cowboy culture. And yet there's all this new technology. And for me growing up, technology was a lifeline. Uh, Some of my first communities, friendship communities, happened online. We got a computer and the internet when I was quite young. And suddenly it didn't matter that, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends in the real world because I had a whole network of people, uh, especially through video games,
0: through, through the internet. More with Emma Nadal on her film "Life Rendered in a Moment." So it's set in the near future. So uh, let's talk about the practicality of building that world. How did the design process go for that? There's really only, well, maybe three main locations in VR, and uh, how did that come about?
1: Uh, and and credit here to my co-writer Ryan Barton. Um, he grew up as a gay man in Arizona, and, and very similarly, um, we actually sort of bonded over our sort of outcast but internet-popular childhoods and upbringings. So we knew we wanted Mark to be a world builder, and that actually, once we were like, you know, a la The Sims, which were, was a very popular game with both Ryan and I, we knew we wanted him to construct his own world so that he could bring people to, sort of like an art form in and of itself. And and part of it too, from, from my point of view, I knew where we were going to film in Colorado was beautiful. I grew up there, you know, as, as much as I wanted to escape it, I also, whenever I do go home, I appreciate the natural beauty. I wanted, I didn't want to do ready player one, which by the way, I love the book, love the movie, but we've seen it. Yes, And I wanted to do, I didn't want to show, Oh, you know, real world, good, virtual world bad right. i wanted it to be that that wasn't the emotional intent and so when we knew we wanted him to be a world builder because he finds beauty in both of these worlds it was ryan's idea well he should build a, re- a virtual recreation of the ranch where he can be himself once we figured that out it, it it informed the rest of the story and in fact the rest of the story was centered around that sort of um, north star and so a few things, you know, I love this. Uh, this is a sci-fi talk podcast. So much of filmmaking for this short felt very sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> we used a game engine called Unreal Engine, which is made by, the, uh, by Epic Games, who most famously uh, make Fortnite, which is a very yes. popular game where, similar to Life Rendered, you can have friendships and go to concerts and events inside the game, which I have done. So, that's just funny. It's already happening, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Near future. I don't know. It's pretty, pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, but Unreal Engine is free, which is awesome. Um, so, we downloaded Unreal Engine, and then we built the worlds uh, using Unreal Engine. And we actually just bought – you can, you can find things to build worlds from scratch, from a few resources. One is the Unreal Engine marketplace where artists will upload their work and you can purchase them. We also used a lot of world building tools from Quixel, which is a, uh, they basically do 3D photogrammetry scans of real life objects like rocks, grass, trees, and you can download them and put them in your Unreal Engine scene for free. So, we like to call this short, because uh, Unreal Engine, you know, it's used on huge visual effects properties, uh, Love, Death, and Robots, yeah. Marvel movies, and mm-hmm. we're, we were the indie version.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: But what's funny is how much of it you actually can source for, for very affordable prices, or just free.
0: Wow, that is pretty amazing. Yeah. There's a theme uh, that's interesting and about that kind of underlines the film, and it's so true about... The virtual communities, and there's several of them. We won't give them and some of the others plugs or anything, but essentially, people go in and and this is from my own experience from journeying into those worlds too. They go in for two reasons: to connect with people and to and to join, but also other people go in to escape things, to escape their real world and live in a totally different environment and leave the real world behind. And I think you explored that really well in this film. And even though it was brief, it, the message hit home and, and I go, boy, that's so accurate. That is so accurate, and I really appreciated that.
1: Thank you. As, as much as technology has connected us, there's a, an equal and opposite effect of it too, where it has made us, including you know, all of us, myself, extremely lonely. And it's this very sort of weird duality. Um, yeah. you, can, you can easily connect with anyone in the world right now. And yet, for some reason, <laughs> we've never been lonelier.
0: Mm, that is so true. So true. I saw from production stills, you use some motion capture and credit to capturing the, the actors in VR that essentially look like them. Yes, a little enhanced because that's what VR does or those communities do? You always look a lot better than you do in real life. <laughs> was that part of the software you downloaded, or this was different? You had to probably go mocap on. It.
1: Yes, this. So you can have your own mocap setup. We used a professional stage. Um, our our production partner was Riot, uh, Riot Studios in California. So we had they had motion capture suits. And we also worked with this company, Cubic Motion, which is sort of the leading facial capture animation company that is also part of Epic Games. So it all sort of stayed within the family, which was great. And Cubic was amazing. Um, They do a lot of the facial capture for Love, Death, and Robots, so it was really cool to be there. There you go, darling. But so what? I mean, that was one of the kind of big selling points for how we even got, you know, Owen Teague, who's a really big actor who played Mark. Yes, always wanted to do motion capture. Uh, And this was, you know, we're going to design a custom rig for your face, get to play around with this. Uh, It was my first time directing motion capture as well. And all credit here to Richard Dorton, our assistant director on the set, who, you know, was doing motion capture pretty early on, you know, one of the early pioneers of it. Nice. And just made the set so fun and really helped us all understand you know, it, it's not enough to pant like There's a moment when Mark le- uh, kneels down into a virtual snowy tundra and picks up some snow. It's not enough for the actor just to pantomime picking up fake snow. So we actually had sand on set that uh-huh. the actor would pick up some sand because you need those little details really sell it.
0: And mm-hmm. so Richard
1: was just able to anticipate what props we would need he even, I love Richard, there's a great BTS uh, behind-the-scenes video of this somewhere, I'm sure. But so when the trees grow, yeah, he even pretended to be a tree, so the characters' reactions were even more real.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. It was awesome. Well, let's talk about your cast. Owen Teague, I had seen in The Stand, playing a really complex role. So to get him is a real coup, because... He is going to blow up. I mean, this guy is super, super talented.
1: Oh, my gosh. He's amazing. And before I even worked with him, I knew that. And I love that you've seen The Stand because that's actually we were watching that show. And that's when I realized I don't care what what happens. I have to get Owen to play Mark. And as you know, he plays Harold Lauder, who's a real kind of villain, a victim villain.
0: Mm-hmm. in
1: in the stand and in i've read the book many times I'm a huge stephen king fan and i don't love harold in the book so much or or at least i i am i don't i don't care for him yeah and the way owen portrayed him made me root for him he mm-hmm. became the protagonist and what it was about his performance was without saying anything without dialogue he just communicated loneliness and a yearning for connection and a yearning for belonging. And it was just in truly in his performance. And while of course, Mark is not a villain to be able to portray that sort of longing. So in such a nuanced way. Uh, so then to get him, I wrote a very heartfelt letter. I spent a lot of time writing that letter. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. I know I have one shot, but luckily he said, Yes. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Stay tuned for more of the Sci-Fi Talk Indie Film Podcast. Sci-Fi Talk Plus got a reboot. I've added a new series like Creativity where I have podcasters, authors, filmmakers talking about their creations. Plus Sci-Fi Talk Cinema looks at filmmakers and the people that are behind the scenes that make the genre movies you love. Outlaw Sci-Fi is where I chat with Latinos that are in front and behind the camera and not to mention my influx, The Top 100 Mix. It's my top podcast selected by the listening audience who will have their voice heard in any podcast on Sci-Fi Talk Plus. Exclusive series, uncut episodes, fan-driven content, all on Sci-Fi Talk Plus. Plans start at 99 cents with affordable monthly and yearly plans too at com back with more on genre filmmaking on the sci-fi talk indie podcast scene one apple take two also have to mention uh, loose reigns who um it, we've seen on yellowstone of course and you know he's a cowboy and he's um, a cowboy and he was perfect for the part and you know all the characters especially you know owens and Luce's, you there's they both share kind of a longing for something and, you know, you know Owens wants to, Mark wants to connect and, you know, Luce's is, his longing is the life he used to lead and the things he was able to do that he can't do anymore. So they had that commonality and I think they both recognize that in each other. And for a short film to do all of that and, and also everything else that's going on, it's amazing what you were able to put into it. And that's really good storytelling. I really have to commend you on that.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, so much work went into this film. So to hear someone appreciate and acknowledge all that work and all that intent is why I am a filmmaker at all. So first of all, Tony, thank you. Luce, I want to talk about Luce Reigns for a second because he is a legend worth a podcast episode of his own no doubt (laughs) he's amazing so we knew we wanted to cast an authentically disabled actor and we worked with respectability which is a advocacy group for hollywood and otherwise for disabled actors people etc and we were a couple weeks out from our shoot and we still hadn't found our actor wow and we're starting to get a little worried and then we hear from luce and he has been in a lot of different projects yellowstone you mentioned he's been in Mm -hmm. 310 to yuma no country for old men a lot of projects right and and a lot of great westerns too. Mm -hmm. and he has always hid he's a single leg amputee he's always hid his disability from his, from his roles and from his directors and producers for fear of not being cast. Yeah. And he said, you know, this is a pretty big leap of faith for me here, but I love this project. I love this character. I love this message. I'm ready to go outside my comfort zone here. We worked also very closely together to make sure the script was authentic to his experience. So there were some rewrites there just to make sure that felt like it was real, yeah. Um, especially for him. And he brought such a beautiful nuance to this character. And you know, I feel like one thing I, I do love about this film, and you know, I'm from Cowboy Country, I know Cowboy Country very well. <laughs> it is a very masculine, very strong culture. And you know, you see in films like Power of the Dog or Brokeback Mountain. The idea of of sexuality and, and masculinity, you know, kind of those two dualities. Yeah. Which no shade on any of those films, though those can be very real. But the aspect of strength, of masculine strength, I wanted to explore here was one where you you can be equally strong physically as you can emotionally. And Luce really showed that of a, a real cowboy and a real father and a real man. Loves his child no matter
0: what. Yeah. More on life rendered in a moment. He had some really powerful scenes. I won't give too much away, but the scene with the picture, I'll just say that, was um, you really felt, you know, his emotions came through. And he did so much with so little. He didn't have to do a lot. You know, you connected with the guy and really you connected with both of them. You know you really you knew what they were thinking, you know what they were feeling, and that's so important, especially when it's a short film. You don't have a lot of time to develop that. also, I want to talk about Armin taylor and in in some ways, he has a difficult part because this guy we don't know very much about, so he he's going into v r kind of um, under certain parameters and so. That, I would think, is even more challenging for an actor because you don't, you're hiding everything. You don't want everything to come out. So talk about casting him and, I guess, directing him and how did you kind of steer him in the direction to go that way? I, obviously, it's in the script, but.
1: That's a great question. Armin is incredible. He's a hes a big uh, motion capture and voice actor. Really oh, cool. And we knew that. Uh, We wanted to pair Owen, who played uh, Mark in virtual reality as well. We wanted to pair him with an actor who was pretty experienced in mocap. We auditioned a few actors, and Armin immediately, and it was all over Zoom because COVID. Of course. And the moment I heard Armin's voice, I knew it had to be him. Because what we see through him, and and by the way, he's as tall as Kane is and as big. Yeah, Okay. But it was his voice. Yeah. And I had to believe that I wanted to cast an actor that I could believe Mark falls in love with.
0: Mm-hmm. And the
1: minute I heard Armin's voice, it was, this, it was this masculine warmth and confidence and strength. And it was, I was like, I'm falling in love with him as a director. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I can understand why Mark would. And so, Armin also has a lot of experience playing uh, motion captures especially for a lot of video games so he was great he knew to move around he knew not to just he, he always on set without sometimes even prompting him and the way i like to direct is a little improvisational let's get all the safety takes done but then let's play around and and find something together and armin always wanted to be moving and that was the right instinct you don't just want to see two characters talking you want that movement And so, Armin brought a lot to our motion capture days just because of his experience there. And between him and Richard, we ended up getting the best we ever could thanks to their expertise there. And again, I mean, his voice is just incredible. But the other thing I did, I wrote out a character description of who his character is in real life.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting.
1: I don't know. You know, it's hard to know exactly how much of an an effect that is. But Armin then at least had an idea of who he was when he, you know, his character in whatever life he's leading takes off the VR headset.
0: Talking to, I've talked to quite a few actors, you know, a lot. And to do something like that, a lot of them will do that for themselves. But the fact that you did it because you obviously want to influence the performance a certain way Uh, still give him room to play uh, is so important because this way he knows exactly who this guy is going in. And even though we don't know, he conveys that there's more to it than we're seeing. And he goes, Hey, I have a life. I don't want to bring it in here. And that comes crystal clear. And knowing what that life is as a character and as an actor is so important. So that's an extra step a lot of directors wouldn't take, so I credit you for that. Thank you. I've been covering the Tribeca Film Festival since 2013, and the last two years now, virtually, because I'm no longer in New York, and this is the way to go anyway, <laughs> so very few people are going there these days, unfortunately, but what's it like to be selected? And I've, I've talked to uh, some great directors that have moved on to things Uh, you know, in their careers, Uh, Benson and Moorhead for The Endless, now working for Disney. So, you know, my job is to recognize talent, and you certainly have it. But what's it like to be selected by this prestigious uh, film festival?
1: Great question. So this is actually my first in real life film festival. Wow. Wow. I wrote a screenplay and this is the screenplay is a couple of years ago at, Oh wow. At this point I wrote in 2014. So I guess it's been a while, Yeah, but it's a script that sort of broke me out professionally in the industry. And Mm -hmm. that was ended up, it it was made into a film and premiered at Toronto international film festival in 2020. And that was all remote, of course. And super disappointed, but because I didn't really have a point of reference, I didn't, I was like, okay, I'm glad the film is out. I'm glad people are seeing it. Going to Tribeca, there are kind of two answers to this question, to your question. Mm -hmm. And and the first is the importance of film festivals as a filmmaker. There's nothing in the world that compares to being with a live audience in a theater and, and sharing your film. That's actually the point. That's the entire point. The second part meeting all the other filmmakers and film and cinephiles you know i went to a lot of the events at tribeca and you know at kept running into the same filmmakers and it was so amazing to be able to talk with them about our passions for film you know our war stories from set (laughs) our favorite movies and in every single with every single person i felt a kindred spirit yeah that we spoke the same language and we were on the same wavelength and that sort of community Gets lost virtually, and so and, and the and the programmers and the and everyone who worked the festival made it very special for all of us. That's nice. Huge shout out to Tribeca. This was an amazing festival. And then the other thing too, we were we hadn't yet finished the film when we submitted to Tribeca. Wow, it was, it was close, but yeah, you know, there's some awkward moments. Sure, especially with all the computer graphic stuff.
0: Um, absolutely.
1: And we were, we've been working so hard on it and we were getting pretty fatigued. And then we found out we got into Tribeca and it was the push we needed to give 110%. So there were two things. One, getting into Tribeca meant everything from a post production standpoint. It just pushed us all to go that extra mile to fight for that last perfect frame. Mm. And then, of course, the community.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I do want to mention there's, um, a couple of uh, projects that are listed on the great IMDb uh, as a writer songs of the damned. Uh, have you, are you working on that now or is that finished? So
1: I love that. I love that project so much. Uh, I, I know they're working to, you know, get the cast, get the financing, but uh, you know, it's always such a moonshot to get films made often. No, so yeah. I really hope that one gets made. I wouldn't be directing it. That's uh, Adam Hashemi. He's a director, works with David Fincher a lot. So hopefully oh, nice. this one gets made because it's it's a really beautiful project. But, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see.
0: Yeah. And also there's, uh, it's it's listed as an untitled Patrick Asborne fantasy project, which obviously gets my attention. So uh, where's that? Have you heard anything about that?
1: So we... Uh, and Patrick's awesome. He's also now working a lot with Unreal Engine. So it's been awesome to kind of, our paths have been crossing a lot. That's nice. He, he's, an, I mean, for those of you who haven't seen Feast, you've mm. got to watch Feast right now. It's his Oscar winning short film from a couple yeah. of years ago. And he's, he, uh, I don't know much about it, but he's working on a project called Tape Deck, which is 2D animation inside Unreal Engine. Wow. So I'm really excited for that. It just sounds like a beautiful story. So our, our untitled fantasy project, uh, unfortunately, I don't think will get made. There were two, two competing projects at Netflix mm-hmm. with the same idea.
0: Oh, and the okay. other one
1: got a bigger actor. So they went with that one. Oh, wow. Listen, the Ho- Hollywood, you love it, but it can be a painful place.
0: <laughs> yes, I hear you. I totally hear you. This movie could easily be expanded to a full feature. Is that something you're thinking about? You can even do... You can even do it where it's almost an anthology where you look at different characters from different points of view and their VR experiences too.
1: Yeah, totally. And I love that idea as a feature. Obviously I'm open and I would love to explore turning this into a feature. I have another feature script that I'm working on right now that I'm really excited about. So hopefully that will be the the one to be my feature directorial debut. And then beyond that, uh also working i during covid you know hollywood shut down i had two projects that i loved so much uh, due to covid were also you know put on the permanent back burner and so during this time with a lot of uncertainty i started working on a book and so hopefully i'll be going out with a, that book soon and you know in hollywood right now there's a big draw toward ad- adaptation oh yeah which you know at, at one point as a story as on one hand, as a storyteller, it can be very frustrating. on the other hand, well, I've just made some IP of my own, so there you go. You know, you always have to be as a storyteller, and I think the other thing that's nice about writing a book, first is a screenplay, and I've written four screenplays professionally for different directors and studios, and for various reasons, a lot of them, all of them, may not get made. Mm. But what's what's really nice for a book? is that it's done.
0: Yeah, yeah. When I
1: write the end on it, that's the final product. And I I definitely have an eye toward adapting it into something else. But it's also really cathartic to be able to say, here's the end product. I can't wait to share it with audiences or with readers.
0: Absolutely. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Just in closing, as as a filmmaker, who are some of your influences?
1: I feel like... One of the things I love about film is, is how bright when I feel like, oh, I don't know about Hollywood, it's so hard. I'll watch something or rewatch something and get inspired again. And that's the power of cinema. Mm. But some of my favorite filmmakers of all time, Alejandro and Yari too. I love his, I, I love everything he does as a director um, he has a a beautiful way to fold in, you know, all these different facets of humanity and of and of genre. There's a lot of suspense, but then there are also these moments of larger than life comedy, um, you know, uh, love and 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 passion, and then dep- human depravity. So I just think everything he does is incredible. I also love Guillermo del Toro, oh. you know, as a, as a sci-fi fantasy oh, nerd. I, Pan's Labyrinth, I think is
0: the oh. perfect film. Masterpiece.
1: Masterpiece. It, I, I watch it probably every year. Mm. Um, I really, I, I think lately too, what's been really fun are the movies coming out that get me excited to be working in film today. Yeah. Uh, David Lowry's The Green Knight. Mm, Yeah, which which has a sort of kind of indie quiet feel,
0: but -hmm. it's the most
1: epic scale. And it's a really good example of visual effects, not just for big Marvel action hero scenes or for fight scenes, but using amazing visual effects in in ways to to really wow and to push cinema towards something new. Mm. So I love that film. And then I'm so excited about this film. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once.
0: Yes, yes.
1: It's one of the best movies of the last, I mean, certainly the, of the last 20 years, if not more, by the Daniels. Um, yes. I, I'm still thinking about that film. But, you know, the other thing, uh, as much as I love these kind of big visual effect films, and I do in these kind of epic films, another one is Mad Max Fury Road. I, I've seen oh, that film six yeah. times in the movie theater, and it's not enough.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, they're filming Furioso, so there you go.
1: Oh, it, it, I'll be there. Oh, and Dune. Oh, my oh, gosh. Did he yeah. Bill I mean, oh. him and Alejandro and Yari, too, are my, my oh, hope my God. to be like them. Yeah. Oh,
0: my God. Yeah. Yeah. Dune it's great. was
1: the best movie of the of the love last year. Um, great influences.
0: No <laughs> doubt about it.
1: But <laughs> I also love the Chloe Jaws, the writer. Mm. To me, that's one of the best films. And it's one of those films you can't recreate, right? It's a flash in the pan of, of brilliance, right time, right place. Yeah, Where it's, it's part documentary, part narrative, and just so fundamental is question of passion and purpose and mortality. Yeah, it's a perfect movie. And there are no visual effects. It's, that, just, it's just perfect.
0: <laughs> well, it's story. And that's really the main thing, isn't it? Yeah, it has to be a story. And yeah. um We've had the pleasure here of talking to Emily Lidell. And let me tell you, you're a storyteller first and foremost. That's what I think a good director is. The future is very bright for you. And uh, when I heard about this and then when I saw it, I go, oh, there's something there. There's, There's something there. Because to take a short film and to layer it the way you have and to have all these little character nuances that take you into their mindset, who they are as people. That is so important. And frankly, I've seen some big budget movies that have forgotten that very simple rule. And it's like characters come and go, and you really don't care about them because you don't get to know them. So I love independent cinema. That's what I concentrated on when I covered Tribeca. And I still still do. And uh, it's great to meet these directors. And you know, down the road, they're going to be doing, uh, you know, amazing things. I met Gareth Edwards that way, you know, cool. the, you know, Benson and Moorhead, for example. And I'm talking to another director who's on her way, Jennifer Reeder, a little later. It's just, you you know, you know, my job is to find those kind of people and uh, watch them spread their wings and and you go, yeah, I I knew it. I
1: I love that. I'm going to take that and that'll be a great motivation to keep working. So
0: you have to keep working.
1: Perfect. (laughs) You
0: have to keep working. No, you're, you're in the right place doing the right thing. No question about it. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. Oh, it's life rendered. Where can uh, besides Tribeca, where can people see it?
1: Uh, Hopefully I, the Tribeca link Mm-hmm. You could watch it at home. I may have expired now that the festival is over. Yeah, yeah. We have a few more festivals we're going to be hitting, uh, and, but hopefully soon you'll be able to watch it. Uh, but I'll be announcing on my Twitter, which is just Emma Niedel, uh, as well as my LinkedIn. You can find me also as Emma uh, I'll be make I'll be sure to keep announcing where you can find the film and hopefully there will be some more digital screeners that people can check out.
0: Yeah, everybody should see this. This is a really good film. No question. No question. Thanks, Tony. This film was part of the Tribeca Festival in 2022. And a reminder that Sci-Fi Talk Plus continues its special offer for you, but also anyone you know. There's over 900 episodes, commercial-free, uncut, and even special programs. The best part, it's free. Not to mention, there's now video available as well. That's exclusive. Click on the link in the show notes for a free lifetime access. But this special offer will expire, so take advantage of it. This is Tony Tilato.